Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Assad, and with me as always is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're hearing our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I'll just reiterate, Ben and I are friends and are automotive journalists. In fact, you can find Ben's work all over the internet, and I usually allow this moment in the podcast to let him get up on a soapbox and talk about all of the recent publications he's been writing about. You make writing it on. you make it sound like I'm chomping at the bit to do this. Like yeah, this is the whole like, reason I do the podcast. Yeah, to plug your stuff. Come on, Ben, don't waste this opportunity. Wait, okay, you can find my work at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, and at Inside Hook. But there's something else I wanted to talk about this week. Uh, if you're a longtime listener, you probably remember that last year I released uh, issues one through three of a graphic novel that I've been working on. That uh, It's time for finishing up that book. We're going to be putting out issues four and five. And in fact, the whole series, one through five, is going to be available June 1st at www.code-45.com. And that takes you to our Kickstarter campaign. The book is about a woman named Vanessa who is a subway driver in Montreal. And she starts to hear rumors that there are dragons that live in the tunnels. And everyone on the night shift is terrified to go to work. Uh, they, they start self-medicating with drug use to try and get through their shifts and deal with the fear. And she has to figure out what's real, what's not, and how it all ties into a secret about her own family's past. So that's Code 45, and you can find it at code-45.com. There's a welcome page there now. You can sign up to be reminded when it goes live, or you can check us out on June 1st. I love I love this um, graphic novel. It's amazing. And, and I'm not saying that just because you're my buddy here, but I, I just think it's really great work, uh, good writing, and beautiful artwork. Well, thank you. Um, I'll use this opportunity to quickly plug some of the publications you can find my work. You can find my work at autotrader.ca, as well as Nouveau Magazine and driving.ca. Now, Ben, this week we've got a couple of cars that I think we've discussed a little bit in the past, but I think we've now got the opportunity to drive them a little bit more, and we have some more, um, hopefully, humorous opinions about these vehicles, or I don't know if we're at contrast, because some people seem to think we fight about everything, so... Let's find out if this is a this is one of those opportunities where we don't agree on anything. Well, it's a bit of a freaky Friday, I think, Sammy, because we're driving cars that each of us have driven I, the the opposite of what we've driven in the past. So, uh, the car you drove this week, I drove it a couple of months ago, and the one I drove this week, you also drove a couple of months ago. <laughs> so, starting out with this role reversal, let's go with the one I drove, the 2022, yep. because there's no 2021 model year. Uh, Acura MDX. And we talked about this not too long ago. Sammy, you drove it. It's completely redesigned. It And by completely redesigned, I think it means, what, carryover motor? Um, and that's it, I think. And Yeah, it's a new platform other than that. So I really struggled with this vehicle, Sammy. I oh. did not really understand how it fits into the luxury universe. This is a car in the form that I drove I had the top tier trim, the advanced package. So it's got all wheel drive, the super handling all wheel drive as Acura brands it. It's got all their tech gear. So um, it has like heated steering wheels, seats front and rear. Uh, there's their driver's assistance systems, which I want to get to uh, in a little bit specifically. The nicest interior that you can get. Um, mm. And it's, it's stickered for just over $60,000. So this is not a cheap vehicle. Wow. I didn't really understand the pricing and the positioning of the MDX. To me, 
it drove very pedestrian. It didn't feel sporty or exciting. The motor, it's a 290 horsepower V6. Again, the same one we used to have. It's got a 10 speed automatic transmission and it's, it, which is uh, one more speed than in 2020. Um, Aha, progression, progression. It is perfectly average in every way. There's, which, is, which doesn't cut it in the luxury segment, right? No, it's it, that's what's frustrating. There's just nothing exciting about this vehicle. And it, that would be okay if it was also extremely comfortable, very stylish, or had some other kind of killer app feature that uh-huh. would make me want to recommend it. But absolutely everything about this truck felt, bare, not bare minimum, but just like here's... Uh, if you were going to take a template of the average premium SUV, it would be this. But I don't want to spend $60,000 on the average luxury hauler. And if I'm going to spend that much money, it's got to be appreciably better than non-luxury models. And I did not feel that from the MDX, Sammy. I think this is really important to say um, because there have there have been really really big shifts in this segment i think the genesis gv80 has initiated some of that but there are also other very good vehicles like the x5 and x7 or the mercedes gle um and even if you want to go into that plug-in space uh plug-in hybrid space you can get something really good like the uh, volvo xc90 um with that really cool motor and that's what's really strong but that's what makes the acura mdx stand out as kind of lackluster because it doesn't have one or two bits that make it feel like something dramatically different than the rest of the class no and if you're if you're looking at pricing alone like the base genesis gv80 is only a couple grand more than the base acura and i didn't drive the base one obviously i drove the advanced package but if if you were to 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 drive these vehicles back to back the Genesis just wipes the floor with the Acura in every um, every category. But what's more shocking to me is a vehicle that I'm going to talk about in detail next week that I'm currently driving, and that is the Mazda CX-9, is also better in every respect than the Acura MDX. And I'm mentioning this now because I'm driving them back to back, so it's fresh in my mind. But the it's not only is the CX-9 not positioned as a luxury vehicle, it is significantly cheaper, and it mm-hmm. is a much older design. <laughs> it's, one, it's at least four years old at this point, and it feels better than the MDX. Just it feels more premium, it looks better, and it, inside, the interior is comparable, if not easier to use. I mean, in some ways, sometimes the Hyundai Palisade can overshadow what the MDX offers in terms of luxury and um, like um, quality quality in terms of the yes. cabin. This is not a good place for Acura to be with this vehicle. There's some things about it I specifically did not like. Uh, oh, easily. It, the infotainment system? The infotainment system is, is terrible. It is yeah. a, we talked about it. It's, it's a trackpad. But not only yeah. is it a trackpad, it's one that relies on gestures. So if you want to move screens, you have to do a, like a double-fingered swipe in addition to using your finger to choose the icon that you want to open for whatever it is you're trying to do with the vehicle. And I do mean whatever it is because so much functionality is tied into this screen. It is very difficult to use when you're driving. It takes all of your attention away from the road. And even with my full attention, Sammy, I often had problems getting it to work. I did not enjoy it. I did not find it intuitive. And I don't understand why Lexus and Acura insist on making us use a laptop-like interface while we're driving. And I mean, we've also complained about the, um, I think you've complained in particular about the push-button transmission or, or gear selector, which is not exactly 
um, sensible. You you know pulling backwards to put it into reverse or yeah, pressing a couple and, of buttons. And, and the the just above that gear selector is a giant knob for changing drive modes. Yeah. And it's the biggest knob on the dashboard for a feature you're going to use the le- the less less often than say climate control or your stereo volume control or or whatever you know it, it just kind of seems like uh, a bit pretentious especially since there's not much difference in any of the drive modes that I could feel hmm. it's not really a vehicle you're going to be pushing hard or would want to push hard and it's yeah, yeah. I want to continue talking about this because in my in my thoughts I found the MDX to be um average but not awfully average and i think it's important to talk about your recent experience with the lexus um rx which is a car that i also think can be kind of average in some ways and almost kind of plain how do these two vehicles kind of like line up in in your mind and why is it that the mdx feels so pedestrian in this case is it the design is it the interior is that pricing that is so offensive or does it just feel like, to me, the MDX feels like it's holding back. There's something that it can do but isn't doing. And I think Acura has been kind of um, hinting at this with the upcoming t- Type uh, S model, which I think might have a better engine. And I don't know if that's enough to really make the MDX stand out. So it's, it's, it, these are all really interesting points to explore. I think it might come down to expectations. Uh, Acura is supposed to be somewhat more exciting to drive, whereas Lexus RX is not a vehicle that anyone ex- associates with excitement. But in terms of putting the, how they feel on the road side by side, mm-hmm. the RX, and I, I mentioned this when I reviewed it in the podcast, it had me relaxed. I felt comfortable. I felt like I was pampered, but only to, you know, not an, ex- an, an excessive amount, but just like it was a good lifestyle accessory. If you needed transportation that was relatively uh, versatile, you can stuff stuff in the back if you need to, you can mm-hmm. commute in it if you want to. I had that, I believe I had the hybrid version, if, if I remember correctly. Yeah, which is like, which is also like quiet and stuff. Yeah. Can I, so- can I ask, can I try to guess the feelings that you had in the MDX when you were driving it in comparison to the uh, Lexus RX's relaxed state? Here's my guess. Frustration. Yes, frustration. That is a <laughs> great, great way to put it. It felt like a floaty, disconnected, um, larger than it actually was driving experience, which is not what I got from the RX. And it, it just, every time I was behind the wheel, I was like, in what world is it acceptable to put a premium price tag on this vehicle? I think a big part of what makes, and, and again, the RX starts like two grand cheaper than right. the MDX and tops out, I think, ten grand less. And also offers a hybrid powertrain, something that Acura used to offer, and made that vehicle feel a little bit different than other vehicles in the class. Yeah, the, so I really liked the previous generation sport hybrid from Acura. Mm-hmm. I thought it was it was actually pretty quick and fun to drive. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, you can add. I'm checking out the RX now. You can add options and, and bring the price up if you want. But trim for trim, um, it is significantly cheaper. But back to the the MDX, I think a big part of why the vehicle is so frustrating is not necessarily because of what the vehicle represents, but because the rest of the segment has caught up. So yeah. I think... Acura- because I think you're right. The last generation MDX and the ones before it, I think, were pretty good. And um, now it's like they're treading water. And they treaded water to the point for, for long enough that a vehicle like the CX-9 and the Hyundai Palisade is as good and I would say better than this uh, supposed luxury vehicle and i say supposed because it's you know it doesn't feel any more luxurious than a non-luxury model and again hugely problematic 
It bums me out thinking this way about the MDX and Acura in some ways, because I feel like Acura um, sometimes flips between these two modes. I think when the RDX, for example, first started, the first generation RDX, had this really interesting turbocharged motor, it, it felt kind of innovative in that way. But the second generation model um, went to a V6-only um, uh, powertrain, and was a little bit more reliable, a little bit more like static, less dynamic, I guess is the way, best way to describe it. It was just less fun to, to drive around. Um, but, you know, it was more comfortable, felt more like a luxury vehicle. The MDX, um, I think, surprised people early on in, in its model run. And then that last generation model that we were talking about was offered with this really cool sport hybrid model, which... Um, I don't think it was directly related to what's found in the NSX, but it's similar, right? I mean, um, it's similar in, in that they're both made by Acura. <laughs> and they're both electrified V6s. Yeah, I don't know how far, you know, but yes. Um, so, and then when we get to this model, it feels like Acura has relaxed on their progression. And maybe it's focused on something that we just don't see yet. We just don't know what it is. Is it super handling all-wheel drive? I don't think there's anything... Super special about that. I think everyone is doing what they're doing, which is a torque vectoring um, all-wheel drive system that can send a, a considerable amount of power to the rear, to specific wheels in the re- on the rear axle. I, I don't even know if I would say that Acura is focused on anything in particular. It's hard to tell what like, – I, I don't think anything makes this vehicle special. Mm-hmm. And – I would think that if Acura was focused on the vehicle, then they w- or was focused on you know differentiating in some way, there would be that flavor in it that I could identify and say, okay, here's why someone would buy an MDX. But it's just not there for me. And it really sounds like we're beating up on this vehicle and, and, and that it was terrible. It was not terrible. It, it's a perfectly acceptable vehicle if you're not paying a premium price for it. And even if you even then, there's so many other better options in an incredibly competitive market that it just feels like this is a redesign I, I i can't understand the benchmark for acura for the mdx what does it need i mean that's the question i keep asking myself will a better engine save this vehicle and i don't think so i really don't know i don't think so i think that uh if they paid more attention to the inside of the vehicle if the if the cabin felt really really nice that would make up for a lot of it i mean like i said the rx is a vehicle that i enjoyed a lot it is arguably not special in any way <laughs> yeah on paper it really doesn't say so but the, uh, and i and i'm i'm still a little um yeah i know you yeah. think i'm crazy for 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 feeling the I way do. i do but um i i still enjoyed the overall package and i i i liked right. it very much so can you the, talk to me a little bit more about that that interior in the mdx did you have like this there was like alcantara seats in the one that i had it just didn't like seem all that like plush and leathery and like plush it felt like i was just it it didn't feel like i was in a vehicle from 2022 trying to be a luxury vehicle wow it didn't feel dated but again it didn't feel like you know you you get out of something like the genesis gv80 and you're wowed by it just the attention to detail there's no real detail inside the mdx interior the materials are there the execution is not uh, the, the the quality of of the build is there. I mean, it's a well built vehicle, but there's nothing about it that suggests that people were particularly proud of it. It's like, it's kind of like again, and we see this more and more with um, crossovers. Is it a vehicle that was designed to sell to people who already own an MDX? And, yeah. and it's someone who's going to walk into dealership, not test drive anything competitive, and drive home with this vehicle to replace their older MDX, and they'll probably be perfectly happy. But they'll right. be happy because they don't know how much better it could be. 
And since we know how much better it could be, it's harder for us to accept that. And it's impossible for me to recommend this vehicle to anyone. I really hope there aren't as many shoppers that act that way than than we are thinking there are. Because I do think there are a couple that just go to the dealership and get whatever the newest version of whatever they had. I've read studies that say most people end up buying the first car they test drive. Dang. And whether that's a function of, the you know, it's so many cars today are good. There's not anything really um, glaringly wrong with them. So you get in, you drive it. It feels pretty good. You're happy with it. You go home. And then two months later, your neighbor buys a new car. You go over, check out that car and realize, oh, man, this has X thing that I really would have liked more than the car I have. You just don't know because you didn't have the chance to drive that other car. And I think whether it's convenience, you know, people like the idea of going in, seeing something like and just going home because shopping for cars is not pleasant. Uh, The whole model at a dealership is terrible and, and people are rightfully fearful of the experience. So and there's also the fact that people don't have time. They have so right. much going on. They want to get a car that's good and they want to go home because most people are not enthusiasts. So they're not necessarily thinking about cars all that much. Um, so all these things conspire against test driving even more than one vehicle. And if you do that and you, you know, if you drive a Genesis or even a Mazda or a Hyundai back to back with the Acura, you mm-hmm. will look at the sticker and be like, why am I giving them $10,000 more than I should? I do want to. I want to recall a mess, uh, a conversation we had off mic about um, you receiving a phone call while you were in the MDX and you being so overwhelmed by the la- like the lack of clear ways to answer your phone in your own <laughs> in your car that you ended up answering on the on the actual device. So right? there's there's absolutely almost every car you drive has a dedicated phone button on the steering wheel or dashboard or wherever. Or, <laughs> or it'll be on the infotainment screen. Like a big button will come up and uh, on the touch screen and you push it. Yeah, assuming yeah. you like using the infotainment system, yeah. that's an option. <laughs> so the, the a call came in while I was driving and I felt like an idiot because I could not figure out how to answer it. There's no button on the steering wheel. I think that there's in the dashboard, there might be a sub menu yeah. where I could have answered it that way. But I was in traffic and I couldn't figure out how to do it. I had to pull the phone out of my pocket, fling it onto the seat and like swipe the, <laughs> swipe the answer at the same time time and then when it did that it didn't go to the car oh yeah and it's like in private mode it's in private mode so i had to like anyway i had to pull over i had to pull over and take the call that's what i had to do gosh so i think you're right i think if you use the rocker buttons on the on the steering wheel you can select like answer phone here on the on the dashboard but it just doesn't you know this is what we're pointing at in terms of frustration or gimmicks or something like that this the basics are not ironed out in this vehicle the infotainment system is overly clunky and complex and the vehicle is not enjoyable to drive or interesting to drive in any way or form so i think those those are those are crutches like those those are are pretty major things uh obstacles to overcome and then i know i'm going to keep bringing up this rx the lexus rx um Lacks gimmicks, I think is the best way to describe it. It nails those fundamentals. Except for the infotainment system with the touchpad. That, that but that, a, even that one is so simple that even yeah. that, that awful infotainment system It's is better than the MDX bad. one, but it's still awful. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. But, but the, I was thinking about, like, the other top vehicles in this class. Like, if I was going to tell somebody about the GLE, I'll tell them about the ridiculous gimmick of that weird, like, uh, bouncing, in, that bouncing suspension system or something like that, right? Or the... The BMW X5 and it's talking in digital assistant that perks its ears every time you say, hey, BMW. Um, it's like gimmicks, that, you know, and some of these vehicles have those gimmicks and can stand out with them and some of them don't. 
and and can still manage to do it pretty well. And then some of them just don't have anything at all. <laughs> so there's it, when we're talking about the interface, you know, it wasn't just the phone that thing that was frustrating too. There was one other aspect that was a little more worrisome, and uh, it had to do with the the driver's assistance features. The car, the MDX has adaptive cruise control and it has like a steering assist thing where it'll, you know, keep the vehicle in line with or sort of between the lines on the road and it'll match the pace of the vehicle in front of you. So I typically use that technology when I'm caught in traffic and I'm inching forward. And this happened when I was uh, in rush hour. Uh, It was maybe moving at five, six miles an hour. I had the system turn itself completely off the the stop and go cruise control and I didn't know and I almost hit the vehicle in front of me and I what wasn't warned turned off like it just it just it, it was driving itself but it did not I stop when no? the, it did not stop when the vehicle in front of me stopped so you uh, were in non adaptive cruise control at that point no I or was, was in it like creeping there, forward there is no non adaptive cruise control or if there is I didn't know how to access it because Wild. when I hit resume it went back to adaptive so it went off with no warning. That's the problem. I wasn't given a warning, and I wasn't given a warning that a collision was imminent. I had the same thing happen with the steering system. It it would um, sometimes lose track of the line on one side of the lane, and when it does that, it disables itself. There's no way to know that. The only way to know is if you're looking directly at the gauge cluster and you see one of the sides turn itself off, and then the the, the, the little green aura around the steering wheel icon also turns itself off. But it's very small icons in a place where your eyes are not often looking while you're driving. So the bottom line for me was these safety features didn't make me feel safe, and they were not good at communicating the actual state of how these systems were being used. And that's a huge problem. It's not just an Acura problem, but it did happen uh, more than once while I was driving the vehicle last week, and it was alarming. I want to um, relate this experience to something that I um, I heard in a con- or had in a conversation with somebody at Rolls Royce. I-, I was mentioning that I drove a Rolls Royce a couple of uh, like a month ago, a month or so ago. You you you, you haven't stopped talking about that. Yeah, Rolls-Royce. I know. But one of the questions I had about the new Rolls Royces is that they don't have certain features that I think other vehicles do. And it's not adaptive cruise control or lane keeping. It was just like remote start on a cell phone or something like that. Or that uh, BMW like ghost walk your whip sort of thing. It do- they don't have those features in their Rolls Royces. And I was wondering why that was. And they said these features are not bulletproof. They're not the most reliable. And when that is, if, when that is the case... Our owners will get too frustrated, and that's that's not the Rolls Royce experience. Now, add now take away something like that concept, that idea that when a when a feature does not work as advertised or does not work every single time, the frustration you would feel, um, and apply that to every other car, especially when it comes to adaptive cruise control or lane keeping assistance. How much tolerance do you have for those features not working, which can be safety critical features? Well, too. I think I think tolerance isn't really the word. It, it's like if it's a safety feature that is supposedly keeping you safe, it has to work 100 percent of the time or it has to inform you when it's not working immediately. And it's the second. I don't expect things to work 100 percent of the time because the technology is not there yet. But I do expect to be told whether a system is on or off. And I think across the board, car companies are failing drivers in that area. I don't know, man. I'm, I actually do kind of expect that certain features should work 100% of the time. I mean, why is it the safety features are given this margin of error when 
the powertrain does not have that same margin of error when certain HVAC features like heated like imagine you're using your heated seats and suddenly like you press the button a couple of times and they're like now we're not turning on today like yeah but if I'm using my heated seats and they don't turn on I don't te- typically run into a wall you know like that's the huge difference <laughs> you freeze your butt off right yeah I mean that is definitely as bad <laughs> you're right you got me <laughs> yes but you're right of course a critical a critical feature there but Eventually, these safety systems have to reach that stage of reliability, and they're and you're right. There there are more times than not when it's just like no, nah, I don't f- I like I don't feel like working, and I'll either tell you with an annoying bing bong or a, a a little light on the dash going out, not lighting up, which is annoying. So uh, I I think we beat up on the MDX enough. Uh, okay, really Fine. not. Really not uh, not impressed and surprised by my experience. I didn't expect to have this strong of a reaction, but. Sometimes it happens. Uh, Sammy... But hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Did it look good? No. I think it looks okay. very generic. It's okay. it's just... Generally, there's nothing to recommend it at its price point. There's there's nothing terrible about it and at this, except for the infotainment. But at the same time, there's nothing about it that stands out. There's no reason to purchase the vehicle when you have so many strong alternatives. Okay. All right. Let's talk about my car then. Which okay. is which Let's is... do it. Let's, <laughs> let's have a happier moment. <laughs> Oh, uh, okay. Uh Uh-oh. Is that too much Um, pressure? Yeah, that's a lot of pressure. So I drove a uh, midsize sedan that you've driven recently. It's the Kia K5 um, GT line with all-wheel drive. And this is a a vehicle that, first of all, used to be known as the Optima, uh, has dropped the Optima name and replaced it with the K5 name, is now offered with all-wheel drive and a turbocharged 1.6-liter four-cylinder. And I compared this this model to a Camry... XSE with all-wheel drive. And this is important because the Camry is one of the most popular mid-size sedans still on the market today. Uh, that's important to say because I think crossovers are outselling sedans by a healthy, a healthy margin. Um, and just recently, Toyota started offering all-wheel drive in the Camry, which is a big deal, I think. Yeah, we've so talked you... about the all-wheel drive Camry in the past, I think. Right. So now we've got to talk about which of these two vehicles are better? And does all-wheel drive change the the sort of perception in the two? So for me, um, the Camry is still a Camry. Uh, it uses a, a, a naturally aspirated 2.5-liter four-cylinder engine. It has an eight-speed automatic transmission. In the past, I've really complained about this all-wheel, this, um, this eight-speed automatic. It's been a little clunky at low speeds um, and not consistent with power delivery, which always trips me up. Like sometimes... The throttle input um, at a given speed is not the same as it at another time, which is just not – it's just frustrating, right? Yeah. It's as if like sometimes you press the throttle a little bit and you expect the car to gear down and then other times it doesn't. So I don't, I don't get what the, what the deal with that is. Um, on the other hand, the um, K5 uses a CVT, I believe, and a 1.6-liter turbocharged four-cylinder and – as good as the um, K5 is, I think the powertrain might be its weakest aspect. It is not urgent feeling. It never feels particularly responsive. And when you do ask for enough power to pass, it takes its time in giving it to you. And it doesn't sound great in that process either. I would agree with everything you just said. I feel like the K5, the, the exact vehicle that I drove, which I drove in the wintertime, so I had a bit of a different experience with the all-wheel drive. Mm-hmm. But uh, the interior was great for the price. I also really liked the styling. But every time I was behind the wheel, it was just 
it was uninspired. Yeah, I think this is where the two vehicles really contrast because I think um, the Camry is a pretty aggressive looking vehicle. I'm not sure it's the most attractive, but it looks probably like the best, one of the best Camrys that they've ever made, I guess. And the interior <laughs> your, is a your little... Your tone of voice when you say that, like... Yeah, maybe that was the wrong thing to like say. Like, you're but... worried that the Camry police are going <laughs> to pop up from behind the counter and be like, wait a minute, son, you need to come with me. Yeah. Okay, no, you're right. What I am trying to say is the Camry is not as boring as it used to be in terms of exterior design, but it is not pretty, um, I think is the best way to say it. It's just, there's style, there's something to it. There, it's eye-catching. Not pretty, but you can see it, and it's something. Um, the interior is my problem with the Camry. It's not attractive. There's a lot of plastic. The layout of the of the cabin is not particularly great. Um, the displays and graphics in the gauge clusters and LCD screens are not pretty either. They feel dated in that way. Um, and uh, I also feel like in every way, maybe in terms of, in, in relation to its exterior design, the Toyota Camry has given up some practicality. There, It feels like the shoulder line is very high. It feels like the roof line is actually kind of low. I don't have a great forward visibility because of the infotainment system that's kind of perched on the dashboard. It pinches that forward view. And even the rest of the the, the around car view is pretty... Um, you need to spend a lot of time with your mirrors to to make sure you can see all around the vehicle. Um, I don't have those same complaints with the with the K5, which has a very well-sorted interior. I'm actually not as impressed with the infotainment system as I thought it I would be. Yeah, um, I know I know exactly what you mean. But what was I it about it that kind of underwhelmed you? The touch screen interface could be better. Um, I think I'm used to doing everything on the screen itself. Um, but this also has some capacitive buttons around the touch, or yeah, some actual buttons around the touchscreen, which are which make navigating it a little bit easier. When instead, going from using the touchscreen to selecting icons to using the buttons on the on the console, it is not as like smooth as as I, as I would hope. Um, but I do like the layout. I like the design. I like the, there's a big hefty shifter that's like from the Stinger. Um, I like the way they've incorporated their wireless phone charger, which is through this little like slot that holds your holds your phone in place rather than a sort of pad that you just hope that the rubber on it keeps your phone there. Um, and instead, when you take a corner too fast, it goes flying somewhere else. Um, I am just impressed with with these these um, features. So I think that they've done a really good job in this place. It's also pretty spacious. Um, and a little bit more fuel efficient than the Camry, which is surprising, again, because the Camry is a 2.5 liter um, naturally aspirated four-cylinder that feels um, lethargic while the while the K5 is a turbocharged 1.6 that I'm always asking for more power from. Do you now, know what you I mean? Get, you, can get a, you said you can get a 2.5 turbo in the Kia as well, but not with all-wheel drive, right? Yeah, doesn't that seem like a really bad tr- – like it, it seems like a bad trade-off. But at the same time, I guess um, mid-sized sedan buyers are used to not getting all-wheel drive, so giving them more engine. And that's the same case with the, with the Camry. If you want the V6, you're not going to get all-wheel drive either. But you know what's weird, though, is uh, – well, the V6 I can understand because V6, right? And also for Toyota, it's probably a question of, hmm, do we have an all-wheel drive drivetrain that we can package with this V6? I don't know as if they do right now. Um, but for Kia, the extra weight of the all-wheel drive system alone would seem to demand more power. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know why I feel that. Why, I don't know why it's okay for for Toyota and not okay for Kia. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you have a different expectation of the two. But 
I will add that the overall ref- like man the the progress that um, Hyundai and Kia have made with their with their quality in car quality uh, or cabin quality is really apparent. The design is impressive into your exterior. The performance is usually pretty good. I think this is one of the few times I've been really unimpressed with the performance. I think you were also not happy with the Kia Seltos, which was a surprise to me because I didn't think it was that bad. But I think we need to say that these other Japanese automakers need to really step up their game. Um, and Toyota Toyota has a nameplate in the Camry that will never go away, I think. So when they decide to be competitive, it'll be interesting to see that. But otherwise, they can just sell Camrys on the name alone, right? So who who would you recommend this vehicle to? Oh, that's a tough one. Um Definitely not automotive enthusiasts on either end, right? Like, nobody who really enjoys the act of driving, neither car will, will suit them. Uh, the Camry feels a little bit sharper in that regard, but that's not enough to, to say, uh, pick that over, say, a Mazda 6. Yes, it's I, not. A, it's, well, you know, it's interesting you see a Mazda 6 because that is a very old vehicle at this point. Still and yet feels it, great. it's still hanging around uh, in, in terms great. of, like, being competitive. And the Accord is actually a pretty um, enthusiast-friendly vehicle. Yeah, so I, like I think the these are two... These are two vehicles for the layman, I suppose, or the the average driver, everyday driver. Um, I would recommend the K5. It has way more features. Even mine had stuff like cooled seats and a heated steering wheel. Um, and it looks wide. better, too. I mean, the, the Camry is not unattractive, but I think the Kia really does take it up a notch in terms of style. I think that's the biggest problem I have with the K5 is it looks aggressive but does not drive aggressive. Um, but you've got, you'll get over that. So I would say it's, it's for somebody looking for... Um, a, a family vehicle that is not an SUV, something that can tackle um, the the occasional inclement weather, like uh, snow or something like that, and they want to feel a little bit more stable in that situation. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but that's, you know, we, we've kind of repeated ourselves with both of these vehicles, so I want to talk about something new. There's some new cars to talk about. Would you... Would you would you be surprised about that? I, I'm continually surprised by the creativity of the auto industry. Um, first thing I want to talk about, a Ford Explorer. I think you've driven a Ford Explorer before, right, Ben? Maybe a few times, yeah. Okay. Well, if you know one thing about the Ford Explorer, it's that um, it, needs an all, it needs an off-road package? Wait right? a minute. Wait a minute. So you're saying that in a world where Subaru has introduced their own off-road package for the, what, the Outback, right? Yeah. What was that called? Wilderness, I think? Wilderness, I think you're right. So Ford is doing the same thing for the Explorer? Yep. With a way cooler name called Timberline. Okay, it's it's funny because, like, so the Outback, it's a vehicle where you look at it and you're like, okay, I guess I can see it. People, you know, they like to – there's a whole this, – I'm a Subaru owner and there's a whole stereotype of, like – Me too. Yeah, yeah, you are – well, more like a Scion owner, right? Hey, I have another Subaru. You know that. Okay. But uh, there's the stereotype that people like to camp. They like to – they have active lifestyles, quote unquote. They put kayaks everywhere. It's that whole deal. So I get it. Um, but for Ford, you look <laughs> – Hold on. I just need to laugh. They put kayaks everywhere. You can't stop them, Sammy. I mean I'm always kayaking constantly. It's the hardest part of being a Subaru owner is finding time for all the kayaking. No but, canoes, kayaks, sometimes occasional mountain bikes. This yeah, is but I mean mountain life. bikes are just training wheels to get you to kayaks. Like that's yeah. how it works. But uh, anyway, the, the Ford Explorer, you look at it and you kind of think that should already kind of go off-road, right? Like 
But no, because the Explorer doesn't have low-range four-wheel drive. It is a real drive platform, but it's a unibody platform, if I remember correctly, Sammy. So it's not all that different in terms of its construction from the Outback. But surely the Timberline, it fixes all of that, right? Um... It doesn't add the the low range, but one what? of the things you <laughs> wait what yeah, it doesn't add that low range that you mentioned. Okay, so um, so does that mean that the four wheel drive system in the Explorer is roughly as rugged as an Outback? Yes, they okay. do add. They did add something new for the all wheel drive system, which I think is important. Although not really the all wheel drive system. This has been funny. Um, it has a Torsen limited slip rear differential. So I'm wrong completely. It has nothing to do with the all wheel drive system. Wow, it's just the rear wheel drive. So I, I'm seeing also that it rides a little taller, like point eight of point eight inches taller. But a yep. quarter inch of that is tires. <laughs> okay, so, great. It, it's got slightly better approach and departure angles, um, and there's skid plates, and that's pretty much tow hooks, tow hooks, mm-hmm. uh, and a terrain management system. I'm not sure if the I think the regular Explorer already has that, but uh, that's the that's it. Like that's no wait, hold on, you're missing the very important part on the front end of the vehicle. Uh, there's tow hooks. I said that. I said. Oh, tow sorry. Hooks. Yeah. There's LED lights in the grill. Oh, okay. Something about these LED lights are very bright. They are two and a half times brighter than the high beams. And and it comes with the four-cylinder engine, the 2.3 that you would get in the Mustang. Wait, what? Yeah. I didn't read that. Yeah, it's 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 a Timberline package for it comes with that motor. So um, the previous generation Explorer had low-range four-wheel drive and was body on frame, and it had... Uh, I think better approach and departure angles and still no one went off road with it. Like it's not, no one really does this with a large three row SUV. I know that they're often like the Tahoe and the Yukon, they're all marketed with off road packages. You just don't really see it. It's, it's more for, I can see them. I do see them being used when there's no road in the sense that you need to drive across a field or down something that's muddy, but you're not going to go rock crawling. (laughs) Well, I've never, I have so I don't think I've ever been in that situation where I was like, I have to cross this field. Well, Sammy, sometimes the field is there and it's just challenging you. <laughs> That's it's, true. And it's, you, if you back, it's saying mean things to me. If it's you like back down it. to the field, how can you look your children in the eye? That's Basically, right. It, that's how it boils down. But uh, yeah, these are these vehicles are so large and heavy that it's really tough to justify their off-road use or, or at least justify their use as like a regular off-road rig. So I think Timberline's kind of mostly an appearance package uh, for people who want a truck that looks like it could go off-road, and that's perfectly fine. I think it's the same thing with the Outback's um, wilderness stuff. Uh, it's it's all marketing. It's lifestyle stuff again, and th- that's cool. I don't have an issue with it, but it's a little weird that they didn't give it low-range four-wheel drive. That's like the one part of this package that makes me go, hmm. I often wonder about unifying the like brands or trim models. Why didn't they name this a tremor like the Ranger tremor that you had? That's Why? a good, that's a really interesting point. I did not even think about that. They already have that brand. Do you think it's because they're trying to like they want people to think the tremor is is off road capable, and they w- don't want people to be disappointed when they drive the Explorer <laughs> tremor and realize that it's not as uh, yeah. rugged as the Ranger or the F two fifty. And then additionally, if I remember correctly, Ford is asking dealers to spend a considerable amount of money to make a sort of Bronco store where they will sell the Bronco and Bronco Sport, which we know the Bronco Sport is essentially an an escape with off-road credibility of some kind. 
Um, and why wouldn't there be a, a Bronco Explorer trim or something like that that would be able to be sold in that store as well, right? Like Bronco I feel Explorer? Like I don't know, something like that. A, a, a version of the... If they can take the Explorer... Sorry. If they can take the Escape, turn it into a Bronco Sport, why can't they do the same thing with the Explorer to give it that off-road credibility as well? You know, it would be... I know I'm, as, I'm, I'm asking for a, a new model, essentially. These are but. two totally different segments of the market but i wonder if the explorer timberline is as good as the bronco sport off-road because neither have low range from what i understand (laughs) yeah so who knows who knows it's 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 marketing marketing's fine um there's nothing offensive about this vehicle so it's like i i i don't have any any problem with it i don't know how many people are going to look at it and be like time to go rock crawling i just don't think that's going to happen didn't you tell me though that there's like a survey ford did about how many explorer owners are going off-road yeah so i read a a p actually when you read the jalopnik um um news story on this written by eric Schilling, he asks he he points out a piece in the in the Ford press release that, release that says that Ford has seen a 56% increase in off-road use among ex- this current generation Explorer. Now, so, does that take into account people who've fallen asleep behind the wheel and woken up in the ditch? Is that is that where that number comes from? I have no idea because I'm just he, says, he says essentially uh, when he talked to Ford about this, they said that they ask new car owners. You know, how do you take your car off road? How much percentage of you or frequency of going off road? And they provided something and they say that um, it has it has grown significantly over the past generation, which I don't think matters anything to me. I don't think that means anything normal in any way or form. I, don't I mean, I, I, I like the Explorer. I, don't, I, I think it's a, a decent vehicle, especially with the, the EcoBoost V6, which is a, a pretty great drivetrain. Yeah. Um, so more explorers is, I guess, better. <laughs> I like the idea that they put a, that limited slip, a torsion limited slip rear differential, not an electronically um, controlled limited uh, rear differential, which I think is a big deal. Yeah, it's That's legit. It, for sure, it's going to also you know reduce problems with uh, overheating when you're yeah. on your off road because you can get a lot of wheel slip and a brake bias system uh, is something that you want to kind of avoid in that situation. Okay, now let's talk about another new car, uh, another very popular product. The 2022 Honda Civic has been released, and it looks it looks very smooth. I think is the best way to say it. It they have they have dumped the very angular exterior design of the old Civic or the current Civic, and have replaced it with something a little bit more um, refined in terms of exterior design. Maybe a bit too much like. Um, Maybe a bit too much like an old Camry, if that makes sense. I think it looks very Korean. I know the podcast is not a visual medium. Um, right. So if you get a chance to look at the, the upcoming Civic, you might see what I mean. It, particularly in the rear quarter, m- m- sorry, the rear quarter panels and quarter okay. gla- glass, as well as the front end. Uh, but what when I look at this car, I wonder what the Civic Type R will look like. Because like you said, this has been dialed way down. In terms of design, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if the next Type R will be as overwrought as the current model is. The other thing I have to point out is the interior design, which looks a little bit more pared down in terms of, you know, like minimalist. And one thing that really stood out to me in the press photos is that there's this very bizarre looking grill that spans the dash of the vehicle. 
Yeah, I see that. It's like a serrated dash. It's like it's like if you were in an accident, it would be like having like a hibachi barbecue like directly in front of your face as a passenger. I don't think that's attractive, um, at least in these photos. It, it'll it'll you know they've done this as well in the HRV as well by making this really extended like dash uh, vent, and I don't like it there, and I don't like it here either. Um, but we'll have to drive this vehicle because you know the Civic has been pretty good to is pretty good to drive. It is good. Um, and I don't think there are significant changes to the drivetrain. Let me just double check. But it does have a really nice big 10-inch uh, infotainment system, which is nice. Sure. You like I mean, if, like. if, if 10 inches is important to you uh, on the dashboard, then... I mean, it's weird because, again, Honda's done its thing where it's just kind of stuck the infotainment system on the dashboard, it's not integrated in any way <laughs> to the rest of the design. It's like, okay, we have to have this screen here. Here you go. Um, uh, and it uses a, you're not going to like this, it uses a Honda sensing system, which is much more similar to what's found in the Acura, um, Acura models. And it uses um, this interesting front airbag that I've discussed a long time ago, if you remember this, that's kind of like a baseball glove. And catches your face when you get into an accident. That sounds so peaceful. Does that mean that, like, as I'm hurtling towards something head on, I I might actually take a few moments to nap inside the warm embrace (laughs) of this baseball glove? What this means is that it will prevent, like, neck torsion or neck twisting. And uh, that's a big deal when it comes to brain damage in a a car accident. That's real serious, Ben. Good to know. No no joking about your baseball mitt. Uh, airbag okay so uh in other serious news if you wanted to get in touch with us and ask us questions about anything that we've talked about on this week's podcast or just questions about sammy's sparse existence outside of the podcast how would people be able to do that it's very easy to do that first of all i would recommend you go to our website unnamedautomotivepodcast.com uh, there's a contact button there. You press that. You fill out the details, and e- that email will land in your inbox, and we'll probably address it directly or on the pod- the next podcast if you've got any questions that are relevant to the podcast. It's good. Um, additionally, you can reach out to us on social media. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And you can find Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. And additionally, he- Oh, yeah. sorry. Go on. No, no, please continue. Ben, come on. Cut me some slack here. We've been doing this for like four years. I I'm know sorry, how to I tell people way too about early. how to get in touch with us. There's the old-fashioned email way, right, Ben? Sure. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna disagree. Okay. You you just you go to your email client and you type in the two box um, <laughs> Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com, and then you put your subject line and then the body of the email, whatever you want to talk to us about. And then you hit send. And that's how we get your questions. And Thank you for that email tutorial. That was refreshing. Um, uh, you can also, if you go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, you can find all of our past episodes. They're there waiting to be discovered. You can also subscribe to us using the many subscribe buttons for the various podcast services we're on. We're everywhere from Amazon to Google to Apple to Spotify. So even if you don't go to our website, just search for us on your favorite podcatcher. You'll find us. And uh, one last thing, if you enjoyed today or enjoyed us in the past and are ambivalent about today, you can go to 
Kofi.com, ko-fi.com forward slash unnamed automotive podcast and tip us a couple of bucks. Uh, it keeps the lights on and we appreciate the people who have done it for us recently. So thank you to everyone who has supported us like that. If you don't want to do that, that's totally cool too. We're going to be here next week, whether you do or not, uh, because we are locked into this um, plane of existence. And this is something that makes existing feel a little less painful on a daily basis. That's right. Um, and Ben, what are you going to be talking about next week? Oh, right, you going, mentioned the Mazda Yeah, CX-9. I'm going to be taking a break from the agony of everyday life to discuss the 2021 Mazda CX-9. And I'm doing another Kia and Toyota comparison. I've got the Telluride and the Highlander. All right. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. Take care.